You're listening to the Art of Living Well podcast with Father Ian Van Heusen. Hi, Father Ian Van Heusen here. There is a war within the human heart between good and evil. This is the fundamental experience of humanity. There's this old Cherokee proverb that puts it this way. They say, there are two wolves within. That is, there's a good wolf that's goodness, beauty, truth. Then there's another wolf, one filled with evil, envy, anger, and jealousy. And so there's these two wolves, and what they say is the one that wins is the one that you feed, the one that you nourish, the one that you cherish. As beautiful as like that proverb is, it's kind of cool. The truth of the matter is, if it, we only wish it was that easy, right? We don't really fully understand what goodness and evil are, and we struggle against our fallen nature, often in ways that we barely understand. St. Paul would kind of explain this tendency towards sin, and he called, we, what we call concupiscence, and he puts it this way. It's chapter uh, 7, verse 15. What I do, I do not understand, for I do not do what I want, but I do what I hate. Don't we struggle with that? We have parts of ourselves that we hate, parts of us that we struggle with, that we work against. And I want you to think about this. If you had a choice right now to be patient, to be loving, to bear with insults, to have confidence, to not be ruled by what others think of you, if you had a choice to be chased, not to masturbate, not to look at porn, not to look at the, you know what I'm saying, just going on and on, all this evilness. If you could choose to be good, wouldn't you choose to be good right now? Like if, if it was just like flipping a light switch on, that suddenly you can make all those sins and all that chaos would then go away, we would all do it. But you know, St. Paul explains in the same chapter, verse 14 says, I'm a slavery to sin. I'm in slavery to sin. The reality is our fallen human nature is wounded. And not only this, we have an enemy who's trying to destroy our soul. St. Paul puts it this way, chapter, uh, chapter five, verses eight through nine. Be sober and vigilant. Your opponent, the devil, is prowling like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, solid in your faith. Yes, brothers and sisters, there's a war in the human heart. So the question then becomes, what is like the path to true freedom? What is the path to liberation? And God gives us an answer to this question. You know, he prepares humanity to receive it. Um, before we get into that, let's just get into how he prepares humanity. So there's the Old Testament, right? So God is preparing Israel. He, he chooses them. So in his mercy, God chose a small group of, of people, the Israelites, to be his chosen instrument by which he'd bring freedom and salvation to the world. But stop for a second there. You, you heard that word a lot. Mercy, mercy, blah, blah, blah. You've probably heard it thousands of times. But let's really unpack what that word mercy means. So St. Thomas Aquinas, he says that at the core of mercy, found within God himself, mercy is pure gift. It is unearned. The first gift of mercy, according to Aquinas, is that each one of us has been created. God did not owe you existence. He did not have to make you. Within this context, God chose Israel to be his chosen people, not because they were perfect, not because they had had all the answers, not because in any way did they merit the gift that he gave them, but he plucked them out of a fallen world to be his light to that same world. God chooses you in the same way. You did not earn the gift of salvation that was offered to you in baptism. And make no bones about it, you were offered salvation and baptism. And by this I mean that God offered to save us from eternal damnation. In a fallen world where evil plagues the human heart, 
God chose you and he chose Israel. One of the best examples, uh, best summaries of this Old Testament can be found in Ezekiel chapter 16. He takes this image of a baby and, and the, 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 this child that's being raised up, this child that's being plucked out of the world, that's being cared for, that's being dressed, that's being clothed, like a father or mother, God cares for ancient Israel like a baby. Now think about this for a second. If you think back to the beginning of your life, your parents and your community, had to care for you and you were completely helpless. You had nothing to offer. You couldn't pay the bills. You did nothing but eat and poop and your parents gladly paid money to feed you and to change your diapers. Now, this may seem insignificant, but there's a deep truth here that most people overlook. Even before you knew your own name, your parents and your God cared for you. That's at the heart of mercy. You didn't earn it. It was freely given. And what did you do when you were a toddler or you could first speak? When you're a kid, you're a teenager. And what did ancient Israel do when they had been set free from Egypt? They had been given a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Were they grateful? Did they say, you know, I'm going to do whatever you want, mom and dad. Did we say that when we were kids? Did you obey your parents with complete trust and confidence? And you know you didn't, right? I'm not saying Little kids are bad. I'm not saying I'm trying to knock on little kids. But we recognize that 99.9% .9 of kids rebel against their parents at every step. It's just a part of childhood. You took cookies when you weren't allowed to. You fought with your siblings. You know, it seems a little silly because, you know, there's a lot of work and stuff like that. And we know that little kids, they may cause a lot of problems, but we love them dearly. But the majority of your time, the majority of the time, your parents would have a thought for a second to abandon you. They would gladly provide the best for you that you could offer. Now, if you had a hard family and your parents weren't the best, I want you to recognize that the ideal parents should have this quality of mercy. I, we'll set that aside, but hopefully you had a good experience with your parents. Now, the story of the Old Testament in this light is not about humanity's fidelity to God, but rather God's fidelity to humanity. The story of your childhood is not about your fidelity to your parents, but your parents' fidelity to you. The question then becomes, what is the greatest possible disposition that we can have in the face of such an overwhelming gift? Gratitude, yes. But there's one simple way that, that I think is profoundly important that we acknowledge how we don't live up to what we're supposed to do, and it's incredibly important to our relationships. And that phrase is, I'm sorry. Psalm 51 puts it this way. For you do not desire sacrifice, or would I give it? A burnt offering you would not accept. My sacrifice, O God, is a contrite spirit. A humbled, contrite heart, O God, you will not spurn. The whole lesson of the Old Testament is that we cannot live up to the law. That we fall short of the glory of God. And His law is just, but our human nature is wounded. It's in needing of healing. It's in need of a Savior. So you might be saying to yourself, I get it, okay, we should be good people, we should do our best, we kind of grow, but why should like, I follow Jesus versus Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism? Why should I invest all this time and energy in following Jesus when, I mean, being a good person, you can do that in any religion. Like, don't all the religions lead to God? But first of all, not all religions are the same, right? We believe that Jesus is the fullness of truth, but I want you to consider something that is different about following Jesus Christ. There is a proverb in Buddhism that doctrine and good teachers are like a finger pointing at the moon. While the teacher and the teaching is good, we should ignore the teacher and allow ourselves instead to focus on the moon. Now, Jesus is the opposite in, in relation to himself. Chapter, John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't point to the Father and say that we should follow God and not, not himself. He points to himself and says that he is the most important thing and that we must give our lives to him. He teaches that we are only saved through him. The way many authors have put it is that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is our savior. Now he'd be a liar if he truly knew that he wasn't God and they didn't have all the answers. It's just, it's like, how do I put this? If Jesus is not who he says he is, then Christianity is the biggest scheme the world has ever seen. The Buddha did not claim divinity for himself. He taught a doctrine of enlightenment, right? And then he claimed that it was open to all people. Muhammad claims that he received the Quran from God, but that if anyone should claim that Jesus was God, that he was in error. If Jesus was pretending to be God, he wasn't just mistaken. Think about this. He was in fact evil and a deceiver. Or perhaps he's just crazy. He believed himself to be God, but he's delusional, right? We've seen that, people who talk to themselves on the streets. But ask yourself, does a madman in the midst of profound torture, being nailed to a cross in pain, offer forgiveness and mercy? Does a madman say to those who are torturing him, forgive them for they knew not what they do? Does a madman love his enemies? Our choice is profoundly simple. It's all or nothing. Either salvation is through Christ alone, and we must surrender our lives to him, or we must reject Christianity because it is patently false. To go halfway would be a hypocrite. But before you make that decision, I want you to consider something. While people can poke holes in the historic account about Christianity and call this piece of information to question or that, the truth of what happened after Jesus Christ is fairly consistent. Jesus was a leader who was humiliated in public. His followers claimed that he rose from the dead and they spread this good news throughout the Roman Empire. These followers of Christ did not lead armies, they did not kill, they did not force people to become Christians. For 300 years, they were a persecuted minority that was ridiculed by all. When someone was found to be numbered among the Christians, they often lost their place in society and they, could, they possibly even faced death. For 300 years, Christians would obey the laws, right? They would obey the laws and not lead revolutions and not try to overthrow the authorities, though they were routinely mocked. They were routinely killed and tortured. They were beaten and punished. And yet they preached, we should love our enemies. That's pretty radical. These early Christians would care for the poor and neglected. In a culture that saw poverty as a shame and a disgrace, the early Christians lived in solidarity with the poor and cared for those on the margins of society. 300 years. Do you realize how long that is? Like, our country began in 1776, which was exactly 244 years ago. Now imagine if you were born into a religion where you had a good chance of dying as a martyr and being tortured for your beliefs. And even crazier than this, imagine if you were taught by your parents and your priests that to die as a martyr is the greatest gift. One of the early Christians put it this way, his name's Tertullian, he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This is what the church believed, that to die a martyr was such a powerful witness. So we could say in that context, we had Jesus is either a liar, lunatic, or savior, but if you were an early Christian, you were either crazy, confused, manipulated, or you were a hero. Well, people can dispute this claim about history or that, but make no mistake about it, early Christians believed that Jesus was God and they were willing to die for it. Jesus makes the same invitation to you today. Are you going to be willing to die for the sake of love? Now in 2020, I recognize we may not be facing persecution. We may not, there's very little chance that we're going to be tortured and killed. But still, examine your heart. 
Would you be willing to die for Christ? Would you be willing to be tortured and killed? Would you be willing to lose everything to follow this man who claimed that he was God incarnate? Now I want to tell you, if you make this choice, it will change everything. Jesus offers you victory. In the war between good and evil, he reveals to you not only who God is, but he also reveals what it means to be truly human. Jesus is the fullness of revelation. And he gives access to the Father. There's this great Eastern hymn that I love, and it puts it this way. It says, you have united, O Lord, your divinity with our humanity, and our humanity with your divinity, your life with our mortality, and our mortality with your life. You have assumed what is ours, and you have given us what is yours. For the life and salvation of our souls, to you be glory forever. Jesus wants to teach what is good in your heart and what is evil. What is of God that you kind of need to cultivate and listen to. And that which is sown by the devil, that must be destroyed and fought against. There's a war within. And the only way to win that war is to give everything to Jesus and to live the life of a disciple. Amen.